I've been living in uh, Nashville area, a little town called Franklin, for about the last almost 20 years now. Oh, yeah. That is correct. Yeah, many did. Actually, Franklin is a bedroom community for the industry. Some of the folks live in Nashville, and there's a little town called Brentwood, but... Yeah, we're all, a lot of us are all buddies. We have a, a meeting of uh, what, what we call the old dudes every month where those of us who are in town get together and have lunch. So yeah, it's a, it's a nice little community. It's still, still, still out there doing it. Okay, cool, dude. Um, sorry, sorry, Chuck. I got distracted because they were saying, okay, uh, they got sound now. Uh, no sound. Is it still no sound? Should have sound. I'm not sure why you don't have. Is sound. it me? You don't. Is it overall or just me? No, it's it's. Um, let me see what they say. Uh, double sound. Double sound now. Okay, on sound. All right. I'm just waiting, folks. Sorry about that. I'm trying to figure this out. No sound here either. All right. Well, let's figure out why there is no sound. Can only hear Chuck. Oh well, that's good. They could only hear you. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if that helped at all. Not sure what's going on. Are you guys able to hear? I have sound, but it is too low. Uh, good now, but Chuck's reverbing. Reverbing. Oh, wait, hold on. Guests side by side. I think I need to turn that off. Okay, how are we now, folks? Can you guys tell me? Hello, if, hello. Yeah, if you guys could hear Chuck, if you guys could hear me, um, now they can't hear. Yes, hear you, Pablo. Good. All right, all good here. I can hear both now. Okay, I'm testing Whew! again. We're testing. So just give me a thumbs up if you guys could hear both of us, and then we'll go through the little the little intro spiel. Uh, Chuck is reverbing. You are fine. Um, I don't. Not sure why. Perfect. Okay, I'm now on, both. I'm on uh, AirPods, so I shouldn't. There's no speaker feedback. Yeah, no, you, you you're good. No, we're good. Much better, much better. Gold now. Okay, so we're good. We got the thumbs up. Sweet. This is good. See, this is what you know. I told you that this thing was super um, relaxed and uh, low key. <laughs> this is the way I like to run things. So someone said I need it louder. I can't bump it up any louder than that. I mean, it's it's up there. So. Um, cool. Well, we got the thumbs up. Okay, let's back up a little bit because I think we were muted. And uh, so I, you told me you hail now from Franklin, Tennessee. I mentioned to you, okay, well, that's where Stephen Curtis Chapman, Michael W. Smith, and a bunch of other folks, you guys went and... Uh, that's you. Okay, so Elvis took over what part of Tennessee? And then the Christian... Memphis. Memphis, and then the Christian music industry took over Franklin, right? Pretty much around 1980, uh, we came to, to Nashville. Okay, very cool. So did you, obviously, you used to live here in SoCal because you, you went to Chuck Smith Church, right? Right, yep. I'm a SoCal boy. I was born in downtown LA. Oh, wow. So yeah, you are all SoCal. So was it the, I know we're going to get into this and I have a million questions. So maybe before I start firing off all the questions, Maybe we should just go and let's do my housekeeping really quick. So, Chuck, what I usually do is I intro um, my site as if the people watching, they, they already know my site. They don't want to hear anything about my site. They want to know all about your stuff. So let me intro that real quick. So just sure. hang, hang tight. 
and uh, I'll get to that. So, folks, Serpents and Duff site, as I've said before, um, sign up for uh, the newsletter. I'm going to be doing a video newsletter with links below, and uh, that should, I think, that should take the the ease off having to read long newsletters. It's easier if I just video it. So I'll be doing that. If you guys want to um, subscribe, not subscribe, sign up for the newsletter, you could do that there on the site. That'll pop up automatically. And as always, all the content is here. I just updated everything. And if you guys like everything, if you enjoy the content and you feel led by the Lord to help support and donate the ministry, you could do that by clicking right here on the donate tab. And here are the different methods. But like I said, we're here for Chuck's stuff. And this is Chuck's website, which is it's a great, great website, folks. You guys really need to go over there. I mean, you, if there's anything you want to know about Chuck, it's on here. And there's some cool photos. I was going to, I, can I show this photo now? Is that okay with you, Chuck? You're asking me? Yeah, sure. Okay, very cool. So if Chuck and I uh, would have been doing this interview in, what year was that? 76 that you took that picture? Yeah, it's about right. Yeah. Okay. So 76, you guys probably would have thought I was interviewing um, Han Solo because check that picture out. Does that not look like Han Solo? I would love to hear from you guys. Am I off my rocker here? Because when I saw that picture, the first thing I thought was Harrison Ford. And uh, But, of course, uh, we need to pray for Harrison Ford. <laughs> Looks like I kept the background with me, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Okay, question. What in the world is that blue drink back there? There is a little cup oh. there. And I have no idea. I'm gonna blow that up so you could. Do you want me to blow that up so you could see that little? Is blue it, cup? I can't even see where it is in the picture. Is okay, it hold the, on. Check this out. I'm okay, going go to ahead. blow this picture up for you, and then so bear with me, folks, as I do this. Okay, look, it's right there. Oh, it looks like coffee. That is not coffee. I've never seen blue coffee before. Well, it looks like coffee colored to me, like a glass cup, but. Maybe. Whatever it is, it's innocuous. It's as, as long as it's not Windex, we're golden. Right? I have no idea what it is. <laughs> it's the <laughs> mystery it was a prop cup. Or what? Yeah. It's the mystery cup. Okay, let me get back over here and finish up the housekeeping. So, folks, go to the website. I highly encourage you guys to do so. It's linked below. And the one thing I did want to tell you guys about is his book. It's called Rock and Roll Preacher. We're going to talk about that. Chuck, this is your story, and I'm going to tell folks the way you could uh, go over there. Check out his intro video, which is really good, but there is a link here somewhere to your book. I thought it was right here. Probably, me... probably right there. There it is. Okay, yeah. so if you if you guys click on that thumbnail image of his book, it'll take you to the Amazon page where his book is, and I highly encourage you guys to go check it out. All right, we're back. We're back, and... Uh, Again, this is just laid back. We're all hanging out here. The fam's hanging out with us, and we're enjoying some time together. So, Chuck, I'm going to yes. throw – I want to know from the very, very get-go. So we're going to – this is great because I love hearing how God reached in and reaches in and redeems us unto himself. This is the best, best, best part. So let's start way back. You know, fill us in where you were born, how you were brought up into your doo-wop days, and then uh, yeah. redemption days. So so hit us up. All right. Well, I'm going to hit you up with the headline version because it, 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 it's so long it would well, take a book 
Wow, wonder where you get that. Book. Where would you get that book? Um, yeah, I'm Southern California born, born in LA, raised in uh, uh, Pasadena, Altadena area of California, and I got bit with the music bug really early. I, I um, started here. You know, I my my age. I'm I'm going to be. I mean, my next birthday, I'll be 80, and um, my life kind of parallels the birth and the progress of rock and roll. When I started out in, in music, rock and roll was just in its infancy. Elvis had just hit the scene. Uh, doo-wop was kind of in there, but kind of diminishing a little bit. And uh, that was the environment when I started getting interested in music. I put together a little group in high school and we actually got a couple of hit records on the Billboard charts, 60 and 61. It was a group called the Castells. Oh, wow. And we had a song called Sacred and a song called So This Is Love. And that got me kind of excited about, you know, hearing my song on the radio. I was only about 20 years old, 21 maybe. And um, let's see, 40, 50, not even 18. I was 18 because it was 61 and I was born in 43. So, yeah, pretty young guy at that point. So pretty exciting for me hearing yeah. my record on the radio. And then I met a guy to kind of cut ahead a little bit uh, named Gary Usher, who had co-written some songs with Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys in my room and uh, a couple of others, most specifically, most famously in my room. And uh, I started doing studio work for about five years where uh, I cut a bunch of um, hot rod surf music. Gary was doing that kind of music. And uh, we cut a record called Little Honda. It was, came out by the Hondells. And some of the folks that like oldies music might remember a song that went, first gear, it's all right. <laughs> so anyhow, I was, I was the lead vocalist on that song called Little Honda. And uh, by that time now, it's getting to be sort of the um, middle of the 60s. Um, our group had broken up. I was doing studio work. The Beatles came in and changed the whole music scene. I didn't yeah. have a lot of work, so I was doing uh, nightclubs. And uh, I started to get into the drug scene. Ah. I started hearing about LSD. And I'd, I'd never smoked marijuana. I was an alcoholic from the time I was 15, but wow. I didn't know it. But, uh, but all of a sudden, I had this new... Um, horizon of this new set of drugs that i was experimenting with yeah and um i met a group of people who were also we were mainly dropping lsd and um we decided that uh, we were the 12 disciples reincarnated and <laughs> we went off on a quest for god and uh, that was about three years we, we did all kinds of crazy stuff we moved to hawaii because we thought the new jerusalem was going to be there and just a bunch of crazy stuff Eventually, then now toward the end of 19, uh, the 60s, around 69, moved back to, uh, I lived in Salt Lake City for a while, uh, where a friend of mine had a band. Well, it's actually Jay Truax who became the bass player in Love Song. And uh, we all wound up back in Laguna Beach. We lived communally in a house, a really fairly nice house overlooking the ocean in South Laguna. But we were miserable because we were getting arrest, arrested for drugs. Different people were going to court you know spending short time in jail and life was unraveling that's the point and all of a sudden we started to hear about calvary chapel now this is back when there was only one calvary chapel and um uh, we used to pick kids up along pacific coast highway to get free drugs you know they'd have a bag of weed and give us a joint now we're picking up kids and they're asking us if we know jesus well we were searching for jesus so we said well we're looking for him where'd you find him and it would always come up Calvary Chapel. Mm. <clears throat> so we decided, hey, you know, this is something going on here. Yeah. 
where all these kids are talking about Calvary Chapel, so let's go up and visit. And so I did one night. I went up by myself. The group had gone up. Different people in the group had gone up. The communal group, not the group that became the band, but some of the guys were in the band, but other guys weren't. Uh, but we all kind of wound up at Calvary, and and a uh, bunch of us met the Lord and surrendered our lives. And then um, very soon we were playing at Calvary. We we had gotten saved, and uh, we had been going there about three weeks. And there was a hippie preacher named Lonnie Frisbee who is prominently featured in this new Greg Laurie movie, which we'll probably talk about. Yeah, um, he was the first real hippie preacher at. Calvary Chapel, and we loved his his style. We loved his his preaching. We thought, wow, they got a hippie preacher looks like Jesus. I wonder what it would be like if they had a band that looked like you know Pink Floyd, like us. So we went to see Pastor Chuck. Uh, we went in on a Wednesday, it was, and got a meeting with him. It was not set up. We just walked in and we said, can we meet with the pastor? And he was very gracious, and he took us out to the sanctuary and kind of asked us our testimonies. He wasn't real excited about us as ministers yet you yeah know, he was kind of just just being nice and being fatherly but at the end of the interview because we told him we were musicians and we've been writing these songs about our quest for god he said well let me at least hear one song so we played a song called welcome back for him and really just touched his heart hmm. it, it, you know the holy spirit really poured out and yeah uh, next thing we heard was can you guys play tonight it's youth night well, that was what we came in for. So we didn't expect anything to be turned around that quickly. Of course, the <laughs> meetings were at seven. So we said, is this meeting tonight at seven, Chuck? Yeah. And he said, well, our guitar player is doing weekends in Orange County Jail, but he gets out at six. So I think we can make it. <laughs> and uh, so we went and picked up our, our fiddle player, our guitar player. And we uh, played that night at Calvary with Lonnie preaching. And the place started to explode at that point. It, we They were running about 200, 250 in a little sanctuary. We outgrew that sanctuary in like three, four months. It went from like 200 to 2,000 in three, four months. Wow. They put up a circus tent that accommodated, accommodated 2,000 people. Plus, you could open the flaps and overflow more out the back of the tent, you know, yeah. but they weren't inside the tent. And we were filling it up to capacity every night. It's very exciting. Uh, we outgrew the little chapel, and then they were they stayed in the tent till they built the church, which is there today at Fairview and Sunflower, Calvary Chapel. Yep. In Costa Mesa. So yep. that's the kind of the thumbnail history of how that all transitioned. And of course, I'll, I'm not here to top my book, but all the details are in my book. So if you're interested in the story, the book would be an interesting read for you, as they say. Okay? Well, I, I, I'm definitely going to uh, show the book again. I ordered it because I'm, I, I love hearing details when it comes to how God moves in the lives of different people. Now, you were... Um, let me ask you a question. This is maybe a bit off of of the the subject, maybe not. But what what do you see is the difference between then, right? The whole hippie movement, the Jesus movement, between then then because there was a lot of drug use, right? We're talking about weed, LSD, I don't know what other stuff was going on out there, but a lot of drug use. We see a lot of drug use now. Obviously, it's very different kinds. But what is the difference? There seemed to be a real hunger for the things of God back then. People were seeking. And today there doesn't seem to be that kind of, of I don't know, of hunger as it was back during the Jesus movement. What What's the difference, if you see any at all? 
Well, I think there's a, a significant difference musically and culturally. The whole thing is like when we started out, it was uh, comparatively innocent. I mean, our drugs were drugs. Drugs are drugs. But yeah. They were more about, you know, mellowing out and finding God. And uh, none of us ever well, that I know of got, you know, maybe some people in the circle did. But in my immediate circle of friends, we weren't into heroin. We weren't into speed, any of that stuff. It yeah. was more we were just seeking God. And we were seeking with our whole heart uh, to the point where we'd moved to Hawaii, you know, because we thought that's where God was taking us. And right. That's an interesting story in itself. And I think today what it is with with, um, you know, I, I always look through the Grammys every year. I tape them and I, I just I don't watch everything. I skip past what I don't want. I just want to see what people are listening to. And yeah, this year, well, like the last two or three years was like a, a just a demonic yeah, it was evil fest. Yeah, it sure was. You know, you just—it's so different, and and I don't relate to most of the music, uh, and it's a little bit like that parallel in Christendom. I mean, the the worship has become very professional. It's something we always strove for. You know, we yeah, always right. wanted to, you know, be as good as the world. But the problem is, you know, who has it said uh, if you want to cross over, you remember to bring the crossover. Sure, I and like that saying. I think that's a little lacking today you know uh now i think that there's you need to be careful when you get into these zones because i'm not painting everyone with the same brush. no absolutely what i see though yeah is a hyper professionality and worship it's more important to have the light show and the you know the amazing mix and all that um and the simplicity of what we experienced when we were just up there leading worship or singing for god and that came through you yeah. know, in our in our music. It wasn't about uh, how good we were, how we compared to the world, or anything uh, te technically. Yeah. So that's I think what what is is the biggest difference. And as far as the hunger, with there's there's such a, a an ignorance on all levels with youth today. I was watching something on um, TV just it may have been this morning. They were interviewing a bunch of kids, asking basic questions, almost like how many eggs in a dozen and i mean kids do not they're not interested in that type of thing anymore right. you, you ask them about tiktok or you ask them about whatever they'll know everything that's going on it's a phone world today yeah and sadly with, with the way covid came in people learn a lot of people that weren't really into that learned how to go to church on the phone and didn't go back to church sure. after COVID was kind of the initial thing. So I think the hunger is different. I don't think people are as hungry. Uh, we had a, we're doing a, a DVD of our, of our band, uh, the history of our band love song. And we had a showing about three months ago where we showed them four chapters, just to get feedback. And there was a young college group there, about 12 kids. A couple of the comments that we heard was our, my generation needs to see this. We don't know anything about what you guys were into. We didn't, that isn't, that doesn't exist in our world. We don't know what evangelism is. We don't know how to lead someone to the Lord. We don't even know how to talk to somebody yeah. about Jesus. Yeah. So it's a dip. It's, I'm not blaming anybody. I think if there's a blame, it would fall on the pastors who need to model this stuff yeah. and teach how to, how to share your faith. There is a certain amount of teaching. It's a lot of it's spontaneous and led of the Lord, but there's also a kind of a, you know, learning how to have your antenna out there and when you can share with someone. And there's a skill to it as well as uh, just the impromptu, spontaneous talking to someone sure. about God. So I think culturally that shift has kind of come over into the church. In fact, I see, you know, to end the comment, 
the cultural shift that I see seems to be parallel to what I see in the church. Sure. So there's a lot of wokeness in the church now yep. that we didn't have in our day. So whatever you see in the political world, in the, the social world of just the secular world is kind of being duplicated to a certain degree in the Christian world as well. And that's a big problem for me. You know, um, the biggest problems I see. as you were talking, it reminded me of what you said earlier on that kids at one point you were picking up kids cause they knew, you know, where to get the drugs or had the drugs, but then it, it, it got to a point where kids you were picking up were the first thing they would ask you, or at least one of the first things was, Hey, do you know who Jesus is? And, yeah. and those kids didn't have evangelical, you know, witnessing training. I mean, they just spoke mm-hmm. from the heart and I like what you just mentioned right now was the fact that I believe with evangelism, obviously the Holy Spirit is the one that initiates the work of salvation, but there's sometimes spontaneity, right? There's nothing that could prepare you for sharing Jesus Christ. It's just something that the Holy Spirit leads and says, hey, I've gone up to people before and said, hey, do you know who Jesus is? Or Jesus loves you. And sometimes people might get upset. Yeah, well, if Jesus is love, then it's obviously the age-old question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there evil in the world? But then on the flip side, on the converse side of that, you might have someone that says, really, Jesus loves me? What, what do you mean? I I don't know what, what you mean by that. And and the Holy Spirit will open doors, you know? So I, I totally agree with you that Kids nowadays, that's why I love doing that. I, I told you, I listen to your music a lot. And the reason why, and I want to bring this up. Again, I know I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth at all. I want to get your take on it. And these are just conversations that we're having, right? I'm throwing my thoughts out there. You you tell me what you're thinking. But one of the things that I notice in, in music nowadays, I do agree with you, there's, there's this sense of hyper-professionalism and we've got to be like the world. We've got to you know, show that we've got to be the ones to attract. That's that whole notion of uh, seeker-friendly, which I, I don't like at all. But a lot of the music, a lot of the music now, it could go either way. It's like, okay, well, this could just literally be a love song. I could see, you know, sing to my wife. And one difference that I see in the music back then, and maybe that's why I gravitate so much to Keith Green, love song, you know, your music, Benny Hester, the old school stuff, you know, is because when you listen to it, you know that they were talking about Jesus. You know they were talking about God. They were talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Benny Hester had a great song that I posted on my site called When God Ran. I mean, it was the story of the prodigal and so on and so forth. But fast forward to today, I'm not saying it's not there, but it's really difficult to find those kind of lyrics that we heard back in that time in your music and in others back in those days, right? Nowadays, what what are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't listen to many artists today. Most of what I hear is the worship music of today. Yeah. I, you know, I just don't chase that music. I have not too much interest in it. Sure. You know, once in a while, my kids will show me some artists they like, and I'll listen to a few songs. So I'm really not that versed on what's happening in what I call the songwriter world. Where, yeah. Like, there's a difference. You know, we love song often gets credited for having a role in starting the the worship movement that became, you know, the making worship hip and all that. And uh, I don't mean hip in a bad way, but making it, you know, fun and cool to, to go to church and worship. And sure. I never really directly saw that. What it was, was 
we had words that made people think about God and become worshipful. And then once in a while, we would in our conscience, we'd lead a song or two. So there was always that element in what we did. And it was always, most of the time, you would once in a while have a lyric where you could take it both ways. And sure. I'm not really against that, by the yeah. way. I'm no, doing no, no, a new album to. and I have yeah, a couple of songs like that because I think that there's a certain way that that's evangelistic. You mm -hmm. get someone pulled in, your buzzwords turn them off. You know, if they start hearing hallelujah, praise the Lord, they were not going to listen to it. So there's a certain facet to that that I agree with. But when it becomes... Like oh, let me let me back up here. When we first started, when we first started out, we were, we weren't recorded yet. We had a lot of secular labels because of what was happening at Calvary. Right, they saw money in it, and yep. actually, we met with Ahmet Erdogan, who was one of the. He started Atlantic Records and discovered Ray Charles, and we spent like eight hours with him in a bungalow talking to him about music and the Lord. And um, one of the things that was common whenever these guys would meet with us. Are you willing to change Jesus to love? If you just change Jesus to the word love, we can get your song on the charts. Sure. And man, it was over. We just walk out of there. That wasn't what we were about. You know, we we wanted to be on the radio next to the Beach Boys, but not at that cost. Yeah. And uh, so that was never part of our our deal to water it down in that way. Although I don't mind the clever subtlety to some of the lyrics where it could be taken on a couple of different levels. But I think that one of our jobs as – here's another observation, and it may not be really on point, but once I analyzed what is Christian music from the standpoint of kind of analyzing it, not from a philosophical standpoint, but just from a musicality standpoint, and here's, here's what it is to a certain degree, an observation. We have – we don't have all the tools the world has. Yeah. So we don't have the Tina Turner sexuality. We can't do that. Yep. We can't do certain, you know, sensuality, blah, 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 all that. The only thing we have that the world doesn't have is the anointing. Amen. That we have the Holy Spirit able to pour through our lyrics and touch people's lives. And the world doesn't have that at all. I mean, once in a while, it'll happen on a soulful level. You know, someone you can write a song about, you know, uh, I know that country song about where she visited the her house. This is a house that built me. That's a very emotional song. Yeah. But it's not a spiritually emotional song. It's emotionally, you know, it's a soul emotional song. Sure. So I'm not saying music can't touch you, but as far as like really just bringing you into the place of where you feel God, that's just something that only the Holy Spirit can do. Yeah. So if we don't, if we have music that's good on all those other levels, and then for one thing, we probably can't be equal to them because of the sensual elements, you know, where yep. that's uh, Alabama shakes and all those bands that have all the, you know, that it's great music to me, but sensual, you know, yeah. we, so we're, we're kind of, we're kind of limited to this sort of white bread music. So we need to get the anointing in there if we yeah. want to impact anybody on any level. So that was just an observation. And I think that's part of what's happened today. A, a lot of it, a lot of the work, here's another little story that kind of illustrates the point. Yeah. Back when, when Hosanna started, I think they were Maranatha and Hosanna worship yep. albums. They would invite submissions from anybody. I knew I met a lady in uh, somewhere in Hawaii in the Big Island. She said, I wrote one song and it got on a Hosanna <laughs> uh, tape and I went all over the world, but I never got it. And that was it. That's yeah. all I ever wrote. Well, they stopped doing that, as I understand, a few years later because the 
demand to make you know one album every quarter that's like nuts yeah to make that much music yeah so they had to start using staff writers and they'd put people in a room and they say here's uh, we need a song about uh power and the blood and i need five of you to write a song about that and then we'll pick the best one so now you're writing by committee that's my point yeah. instead of just finding songs that came from the heart the greatest songs that I ever wrote were written on stage when I was worshiping God. And I, it would be the germ of an idea, not a finished song. But all of a sudden I'd go into something. I go, wow, that's a song. And then later on I'd craft it and it became a song. So those kind of things are important. And a lot of it today, you know, here's another observation. We wrote songs in worship sure. that you could sing. Now the idea is we need to write a worship song that'll get on the radio. So That's now right. they're writing for, they're not writing for the people, they're writing for the radio. So you get a great song. And, you know, like one of the ones I like is that one about the sloppy wet kiss. I think mm -hmm. it's a good song. You know, what is a heaven? Can, you know the song I mean? Mm -hmm. How he loves yep. you. Well, you start off comfortable. Then all of a sudden you have to go up an octave. And people are gone at that point. You can't sing that. But when you had uh, I exalt thee, yeah. you could modulate three times and everybody could sing. So yeah. th those are all things that people don't consider that much anymore, as I observe. Now, I'm not saying I'm, I've got the whole deal down, but that's what I've seen in my own observation of the scene. So no, you know what? My answer. I, I totally agree with you. And actually, now that you said that, I was actually going to do a follow-up question, but you kind of touched on that right now. We'll get into love song and we'll get into all of that. But I think this is a great conversation to have because oftentimes, even I'll sit in church. I used to sing on the worship team at the church I used to work at. And one of the things that uh, that bothered me was that even back then, it was more geared towards the performance than geared towards leading people before the throne of Almighty God in worship, right? And I don't think that that's gotten any better. And um, oftentimes, I don't... Listen, I don't mean to ruffle anybody's feathers here. Everybody worships, I understand, in their own way, and I get that. I'm talking about me personally, because I was on the other side. I was on the stage, and when I when I go to church, oftentimes I don't sing because, you know, you have uh, the singers up on stage that are doing all of these, you know, these vocal ditties and, you know, uh, almost, listen, I'm not, I'm not dogging anybody's, anybody's um, heart intentions. I'm just talking strictly based on what I see as I'm there experiencing worship. And I, that's the wrong word, but as I'm, as we're there worshiping. And when people mm -hmm. on stage, they're taking a song and they're going, and they're doing all of these vocal variations, yeah. it's really difficult. I look around and and probably 90% of the people around me are not singing. They're just, they have their hands down by their side because it's really difficult to follow that. And I, I remember I used to say, why can't we just sometimes get a guitar and just, just lead worship with a guitar and see what the Lord does with that. I've seen some amazing, I've had some of my best times of worship with just a guitar and vocals. That's it. You know, so that's what I observe. And I, the reason why I'm bringing that up is because I, you know, you touched on that. And I think there's something there to be said, you know, you still, you still lead worship, right? I do in my concerts. Okay. So I, I'm not on officially on any worship team. No. So even in concerts, when as the leader, as the worship leader, is it not your um, 
Well, and I'll use a word. Is it not a responsibility of the worship leader to lead people before the throne of Almighty God? At least help them. You know what I mean? Help them to 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 worship. And I guess the way that the songs are set up now, to me even, it's just difficult. I can't do it because I feel like I'm singing a song, a pop song from an album, as opposed to a worship song like you, you know, the one you just mentioned. I exalt thee, we exalt right. thee. They're, they're not like that anymore. So I was curious what, again, if you don't mind, just, just a little bit, talk about that just a hair. Well, you practically are, the, what you just said would be my answer. I mean, that's exactly right. Uh, what, what I feel about that is that I have, I had a worship seminar I used to do live. I haven't yeah. had any call for it lately, but I get together with musicians and people and we talk about worship and I had a bunch of material that I would present. And part of it is one of the things that I would share with them is that you are, you're really not a worship leader. Some of the terminology we use, you're a worship priest yeah. and you stand on the brink between what God wants to do. God wants to touch the lives of the people and he wants to get the people's lives touched so that they can worship back to him so that this circle can be created where we're all involved in God and inhabits the praises of his people. That's the responsibility. We're a Levite in a sense, yeah. worship leaders. And we're supposed to be up there for the people. It's not about how good we drummed or played guitar, or any of that. None of that is important. Uh, so yeah, I very much agree. It, it, what it gets down to in a certain way is that the, the principle is that less can be more in that sure. situation. And I know I know a pastor, this was many years ago even, but it was when all the worship team was beginning and everybody was following the example of, uh, you know, groups like uh, Hillsong and that type of thing with this major worship stage presence. Yeah. Um, he had a, a professional, they were all, he said they were all wonderful people, but we lost the anointing in, in, a, in a sentence. Yeah. He says, so I went back to the way I used to do it back in the day. I'm not even on the worship team, but I, told them to stand down for a few weeks. And I got out my guitar like I did when I started the church, the pastor. Yeah. And he says, I started to lead worship with the guitar and the anointing came back. And uh, eventually we had the team come back on the platform, but it, it had them do a few weeks off. And the point was getting, getting back to the simplicity of what, what is really worship. It's, it's not about the production. It's not about the arrangement. It's about connecting our hearts to the Lord. And you can do that very effectively in fact more effectively probably with one guy on a guitar yeah agree i have people offer me musicians when i come in to play they'll say well you know if you're going to do a little worship our band can back you and i always turn it down yeah because it for me when i'm up there leading alone i'm in a sports car and the minute i add people to it it becomes a truck and then a mac truck yeah you know and it's hard to steer that if in my little sports car i can stop on a dime and so I never, once in a while, I'll say, all right, we'll do a couple of rousing tunes just yeah. to let your band play for two or three songs. But then I want it back by myself because for me, I found the greatest freedom is when I'm just by myself with my keyboard. I can choose the song I want. I can cut it short as I want. I don't have to do any signals. There's nothing to distract. And I think that in that environment, I can get people into a deeper experience of worship than I can with a worship band around me. So I always look at a worship band like uh, Saul's armor, you know, mm -hmm. when David said, you know, I don't need all that armor. Yep. Just let me go fight with my sling. And I think there's something in that for, for worship teams and worship leaders. 
And I see a lot of it because it's all modeled on on uh, Jesus culture in these 10,000 seat arenas that are filled with these. And they're great bands and they're great singers and they're anointed. I'm not even saying you can't have a great experience in a meeting like that. But then we try to model that on the platform in a little church with 50 people and it can't be done. Yeah. So always remember in my mind that, you know, there's, I, I've seen churches very, very powerfully lead worship with CDs. They didn't have any musicians Yeah. and they just choose a song off a CD and sing it to the CD and then choose the next song. Yeah. You know? So it, it's, it's really not about, musical excellence or or any of that it's really about getting the heart connected to god and uh sometimes the simplest method is the best method yeah no i agree i know of um marty Getz, and i'm sure a lot of viewers know who marty Getz is fabulous piano player anointed musician and marty Getz is literally when I, at least when i've seen him he's come to the church too it's him and the piano and I'm telling mm -hmm. you, him and the piano, it, it's you feel the presence of the Lord and the anointing is there. And uh, I got to yeah, get, I know Marty, yeah, yeah, I got to get Marty back on. Maybe we could get you and Marty on. I don't know if you'd be up for that or not. That'd be a three way, you, me and Marty. Sure. That would sure. be great. And, uh, you know, we could talk about this because I think there's definitely if we look throughout scripture, music has power. Let's just put it that way. And Satan very well knows the influence that music has on the individual. You know, from our understanding of Scripture, he was the director of music in heaven, so he knows how music can touch people and influence them. I really, you mentioned the Grammys, and I want to make sure I show this. All I did really quick was, and I know it was a satanic fest, to be honest with you guys, but this is the kind of stuff that uh, we've come to as a nation now. Let me just show you. These are thumbnails of pictures of the Grammys. And this performance, yeah. I didn't watch it. I don't really care to watch it. Uh, I've read enough about it to know that it was straight-up demonic. And people clapped and applauded and stood up. But you guys could see here, you could just get a, a, a gist from, from this of what this was all about. It was literally saint worship. You could see in this image right here that this was a shrine and it looked like you know a satan it was a satanic altar and so th that that is the that is satan working at his finest through music and it touches something within us right i'm sure most of us would probably even know you hear a song and that specific song will bring you back to a specific period in time and you know exactly what you were doing, or you know you think of a song, and you're like, "Oh, that reminds me of when I used to go to the beach in the summer," and you yeah. know, fill in the blanks. So there's power in music, and that's why I think it's so key, it's so important that we really mind what we listen to, because the music scene. Now I want to go back to love song. Talk to us about your transition from. Um, you did a little bit, you know, going into Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa and, and with Chuck Smith. But talk to us about that transition going into Love Song and then you going solo, if you don't mind. No, that's fine. Uh, yeah, well, in the hippie days when we were doing the drugs together and we're kind of living communally, the, the object was to find God. We, yeah. we weren't sure it was Jesus yet. Very early on, I felt like Jesus had to be a part of whatever I embraced but I didn't know what party was. And um, so there was a lot of a process of elimination and um, that type of thing going on. But um, 
trying to think of what the core of your question was. What the early so, so, the transition into? Yeah. Yeah. So so you went from you went from um, the secular industry, right? Because you mm -hmm. you actually were uh, re you were a recording artist in the secular industry, and then God, you know, God got a hold of your life. You went to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and then you. Where was that transition? How did you go into Love Song? You 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 were one of the founding yeah. members of Love Song, and Love Song had, and still does have a huge influence on Christian music. I mean, you can't talk about the inception of Christian music without mentioning Love Song or Second Chapter of Acts, or like you had mentioned, the Maranatha or Hosanna music. So I'd love to hear how that happened, and then how did you? What was it that took you from Love Song and you decided to go solo? Well, uh, backing up just a little bit, sure. back in at the end of the hippie period, what was happening was that we were all starting to write songs. We had narrowed it down to whatever we embraced had to include Jesus. So we kind of already had uh, dismissed the Eastern philosophy thing, Buddhism and all that, and kind of like focusing in on, I was, I still had a prejudice against Christianity because I was raised in a Christian denomination and it was very dry and that's the last place I wanted to find yeah. God. So I, I was fighting against it. But at the same time, I knew that whatever it was, was about Jesus. So we began to write songs about our search, primarily me, because I my songs were the main songs on the love song album, the first love song album. But everybody was writing that way. And we were writing some of these things together. Fred Field and I wrote a lot of songs together. So we were moving in that direction already. And uh, then when we came to faith, uh, I had an experience at Calvary Chapel where the Lord got a hold of my heart in a big way. Um, we had these songs already. There weren't very many of them. There were maybe half a dozen songs that we had written that were about a search for G God, but included Jesus. Sure. So um, when we came to Calvary, like I said before, when I told the story about how we, we thought we would be a good fit, we went in, we saw Chuck and... Um, he loved that song, and we started to sing regularly at Calvary. Then we began to get more and more music. Uh, we began to write more songs. We Now we also knew what we were writing about. A lot of the songs in the early days were still sort of searching songs. You know, I'm looking for this. I'm not sure what it is. Now we were able to, the way I put it is, before I became a Christian, I had all the questions, but no answers. And then yeah. when I became a Christian, I began to be able to put the answers into my songs. So now we're at Calvary. We're primarily just singing songs we wrote. We weren't leading worship in any, you know, great way. We do a worship song or two in our set, but primarily we were just singing these songs we'd written. And then we began to travel around the nation and go to other churches as well. And uh, then we put on our record. Our record came out in 1972, the first Love Song album, which became, for many people, their first really excursion into a, an album that was contemporary and yeah. rock and roll and fashion, but still communicated the anointing and, and the, the power of God. So all of these things were happening at lightning speed overnight meeting with Ahmet Erdogan, the founder of Atlantic Records, meeting with Columbia Records and all these people that were interested in us and fielding all this stuff. We were in major magazines, and Life Magazine, Look Magazine. We kind of became the house band at Calvary. So Calvary became the 
Calvary Chapel became the focus for the media. They would yeah. come down there because they knew there was good photo op. You know, they had a, it was an unchurchy looking church. They had a pastor that was laid back. They had a hippie preacher. So we would get carried up into the, the promotion of all the, our band with all those articles that would come out. So we became very well known very quickly and all over the nation. And we traveled a couple of times, we did tours, but here was the key and why I went solo. Toward the end of it, it was so much, so fast. We were baby Christians. Yeah. First of all, we looked heavy. People thought we were these deep dudes. Man, these guys, long hair and beards, they must really know God. Well, yeah. we didn't. We yeah. were just baby Christians learning to know God. So a lot of it was pressure on us that we couldn't really um, sustain. And there was a lot of infighting. We had a lot of talent in the band. We had more more talent than we had room on a record, you know, so there were little squabbles about, can I get my, sort of like the Beatles, George Harrison, can I get my song on one of the albums? And um, so we had all those human struggles that people didn't realize probably that we had because they looked up to us. I remember when we did break up with the first guys, one of the first comments I heard was a guy said, oh man, I'm so disappointed the Beatles broke up, but you're the love song. You're not supposed to ever break up because you're, playing for God, you know. <laughs> so anyhow, what had happened, yeah, what had happened at that point was I had so many songs, I didn't have enough, uh, you know, really um, space on the album for a love song album for all my stuff. So I started to prepare a solo album. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, I could do both. I could do a love song album and I could do a solo album to give me more outlet for my um my music but by that time we already started to have some problems within the group we needed to grow as people all we knew was being ministers all we knew was being famous and we needed to just kind of get into church and see what it was like to just be a christian so the way we broke up was really quite sweet really it was more like well lord we feel like we should move on but if we're displeasing you by that, make us miserable. And if it's your will that we disband, <laughs> then make us feel great. Well, everyone felt great about the move. You know, uh, we never closed the door to playing his love song. That wineskin was always open, and we did play a lot after that. You know, not not the way we did in those first three years, but but we played occasionally when Chuck Smith would do a, a you know a reunion concert or something. Sure. We'd play for those, and and we we. So we were never we never closed the door to it, but everybody's lives took on new meaning. Uh, Tommy Coombs, my bandmate, started. Uh, he was involved in the beginning of of Maranatha Records and the Praise albums. Now he uh, travels the world. He's off somewhere with Franklin Graham today. Yeah. Uh, he has the band for Franklin Graham. Jay went into architecture. Everybody went into their own lives, but we always come back at the drop of a hat to play if we could. You know? yeah. So that was that door was always open. So um, I put out my first solo album uh, already. The band, the band had already disbanded by that time. And uh, so my album came out. It had Sometimes Hallelujah on it. Um, it was the first time that I'd ever put a worship album on my, a worship song on an album. And I think that song is what crossed me over because uh, Jimmy Swagger picked it up. It was his theme song for many years on his TV show. And I don't think too many people had done a, I don't even really consider personally sometimes Hallelujah to be what I would define as a worship song. It's a worshipful song. Yeah. 
but some people i mean it was in a hymnal for a while so i guess people call it a worship song but to me a worship song in a purity the purity of a worship song is that we're crying out speaking directly to god and and all sometimes hallelujah is more observation you know sometimes we use the word hallelujah sometimes we say praise the lord yeah. sometimes we're just gently singing it's more descriptive of what worship is sure but that song kind of crossed me over because it's very hard sometimes to forge a solo identity when you've had such a great it really was a great theme for three years you know i mean we didn't stay in it if we just stayed in it for another 10 12 years uh we might have um you know had a longer sure. shelf life with people's memories but during that time when we had our impact it was powerful yeah and um you know it, it, it made its mark so it was time to move on and then that just started my solo um, ministry and that's what i've been doing since 1975 never looked back and god's been blessing me all these years i've been able to uh raise a family and you know be a an adult yeah and still make music and still play for god so and it's been great so so you went <clears throat> so love song chuck gerard i mean i'm looking i put it up real quick for folks to see this is your um your catalog right here these bottom 10 albums and then the top right here how many love song albums did you guys put out well i think you've got them all there except okay. uh, you, you don't have welcome back which was a 95 there's two on there that you don't have there's welcome back we recut a lot of these things in 95 using studio players okay uh, there's a story behind why we did that. Well, real quick. Yeah, go for it, please. I'd love to hear it. Well, real quick, uh, this was about the time when everybody was finally putting out CDs of famous albums, secular or Christian. And there was a lot of this Christian albums that were coming out on CD, but here's one of the most iconic albums in Christian history that had not come out on CD yet. So Tommy was working for Maranatha Records, and they decided, well, let's just go in and re-record them. Yeah. Roy Orbison did it. Little Richard did it. They just made new masters perfect copies of their old records so they could own. I think we lost the audio. So hang tight folks, just real quick. I think we lost the audio. Uh, nope. Lost the audio. Well, so we oh, there you go. Uh, let me see. Talk. Cause I think we lost your audio for a bit. Hello. Oh, there you Are go. We okay. Back? We're good. We we're good. Okay. Go for it. We're back. We're good. So, um, so you, you were we saying, were go yeah, you were saying we were Roy go in and yeah, we were going to recreate the original songs as close as we could get it. Well, just about the time we decided to do that, the record label that had the rights to the album started to release them in CD. So now the plan is, you know, why would we do this? You know, they're actually the originals are coming out. Yeah. So we decided to go in and reinvent them. And that's what 95 was. Welcome back. It was okay. uh, we hired studio players. We spun the tracks off into a new place and, and uh, we sang all the background vocals, but we we didn't really play much on the album. Okay. So that album's there. And then when we put the box set together in whatever, 2010, uh, we collected some old demos and stuff we called it the early years. So that's another album. that's not in that. I don't know why it's not in the, it should be there. But, <laughs> it's uh, all good. So they could get yeah. that. But so you actually put out 10. Now, I don't know if there's any more, but what I see here is 10 solo albums. And I, I like to call. That's pretty much it. I, I, 
I'll be honest with you. The um, the album called "Take It Easy." That's probably "Take It Easy" and "Glow in the Dark." But I think "Take It Easy" for me is probably my favorite one. But that's the one where I thought, man, you you seriously look like Han Solo there, <laughs> exactly like Han Solo. I'm thinking, you know what? It, if I put them side by side, it would be identical. But so God really, really blessed you in what you know. I figure obedience has a big role to play in this. You know what I'm saying, and definitely, yeah. So, so talk talk to us about that because I'm sure maybe I don't know. Did did you get pulled in other directions because you know to 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 hear the voice of the Lord and to to actually obey are two different things. And oftentimes, I think we can get caught up in the minutia of life and and we hear the Lord and we go, mm, yeah, sure, sounds good. Maybe some other time. I've got this going on right now. But talk to us about the importance of obedience, because I'm looking at your discography right now, and I see the fruits of obedience. Well, 10 albums in 50 years is not that much. I've never been that guy that makes, you know, two albums a year type of thing. Yeah. Um, But regarding obedience, I think if we ever turned stuff down, it was in the first few months. Because we actually did when Columbia, the guy from Columbia said, um, you know, if we change Jesus to love type of thing. And so we said, no, we don't want any part of that. So we parted ways. And then I think with, uh, well, I know with uh, um, Amit, he was interested in us, but he was also uh, sort of courting the Rolling Stones. And while we were having our meeting, he got a call from the Rolling Stones representative that they wanted to go ahead and seal the deal to make Rolling Stones records. And it was almost like he shifted. It's like, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out. His whole thing shifted to the Rolling Stones. And and that's, uh, but I felt that was God's will because, you know, we might've signed with them and maybe it would have been wrong, but we did any turning down we did was at that time. And it was for those reasons that we wanted to keep it pure. Sure. We wanted, you know, have it be a thing of God. So uh, as far as the future went with anything we do, uh, my wife and I have, we're always, we pray about everything we do. We have to even be more careful now because of so many of these churches have uh, false doctrine and stuff. Yep. You've got to be careful who you associate. You never had to consider that yep. in the early days. You just go to a Christian church and everything was okay. So obedience is much more than just what gig you play or whether God directed you to do this or sure. that, the other thing. It's it's everything you do in your life, you know, that you want to, uh, one of the scriptures that has driven my life is trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, which I take, I, I paraphrase that saying, stop trying to control everything yourself because you don't have enough information to, you know, to do it. God Correct. is the only one that can do it. Amen. But then the, some people leave out the second part in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's right. And that's what my wife and I have tried to do over the years. We pray over everything we do. Uh, so I think sometimes we've run ahead of the Lord. We all have, but, but by and large, it's obedience in every area of our life, you know, uh, um, making a choice to move or buy a new house. These are all things we need to consult the Lord on or we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. But I'd say for baby Christians sorting through, you know, navigating those early waters of whoever dreamed secular labels would want to sign a Christian artist, uh, that was new territory. And we had to to pray and 
make some tough decisions in those days. But it was always, it's always been about, here's the one thing I'll say about my guys, uh, for anything else that we aren't, what we are is our heart is toward being obedient to God and wanting to do whatever we do as unto the glory of God. Amen. And that's the one single factor. I In another interview, I called it the glue that has held Love Song together has been that commitment to ministry that at the bottom line, no matter whether you like what this guy did or this guy maybe had a sin in his life or whatever, uh, bottom line is it's all about the Lord and being um, a faithful servant. Yeah, it's I agree. You know, uh, as, as I was listening to you talk, I thought about the word discernment, you know, and because uh, you were mentioning that, and I agree with you, there's certain places where you've got to be careful. People will automatically associate you if you say, yeah, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to play and I'm going to lend of my talents, um, you know, and my gifts that God's given me, they'll automatically go, oh, well, if he went there, then that means he's in line with their beliefs. And so I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's really important for us to understand even within music, in whatever we do, like you said, we've got to exercise, yes, seek the Lord in everything, in everything, because I I fall guilty of this. Oftentimes we think, oh, these little decisions, eh, it's a straight answer. The Lord would want me or not want me to do this, right? But I think back at when David wanted to build a house for the Lord, and Nathan said, yeah, just do it, man. I think that's great. Yeah, go for it. And the Lord said, whoa. <laughs> slow down. You've got to go. Now you got to go back and you've got to tell David, no, there's too much blood on your hands, but your son will build it, you know? Yeah. And so I, I agree with you 100%, the importance of taking everything to prayer, everything, no matter how small we might think. And also the importance of exercising discernment in the life of the believer. Cause I think that's key. These all go hand in hand, right? Obedience, discernment, prayer, uh, and, and, and again, let me say, as I'm looking at your discography, yeah, sure. Like you said, I didn't put two albums out a year a lot, but each one of these albums has substance. And that's something that is missing in a lot of Christian music these days. Uh, let me preface it again. There are those artists out there that have that, but unfortunately what I see in Christian music today is just like what I see in the church today. The enemy has crept into the industry. You've got a lot yep. of... Uh, it, it's not the same as it was in the inception, right? I, I see the same exact thing with the church. Um, mm -hmm. And and so talk to us... real. And let me just say this real quick. I got to ask you a question. While you were at Costa Mesa, was that the time... Or was it tail end when uh, Sweet Comfort, Brian Duncan was there, and then Larry Norman? Was Larry Norman around that same time? All about the same time. Funny, uh, in our DVD, in our, in our documentary, Brian uh, Duncan is interviewed, and he says, when I, when I saw your album, it made me, he, he moved from the East Coast to California because of our album. Oh, okay. And he said, <laughs> I didn't know this till he said this. He says, I used to haul your equipment for you and set up for you. I was wow. like a roadie for a while. Wow. It wasn't an official capacity, but when we come to Calvary. So uh, he was in on the early days. Now, here's where Larry was ahead of us. Larry already had the album out on Verb called uh, Upon This Rock, which was in the late 60s. Okay. And when I became a Christian, that album was already out. Uh, so... Those were the first people. Andre Crouch was doing things yeah. in more black gospel music, yep. love song, 
Barry Maguire came along shortly after, and so did uh, uh, Randy Matthews. Petra, Randy Petra was Petra was around that time too, early seventies. A little bit later. Okay. A little bit later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and then the Maranatha uh, groups were next, kind yep. of in the chronology, and then some of the bands. Even people don't realize even uh, Keith Green and Second Chapter X were quite a few years later. Okay. Okay, so that's crazy. I did not know that Randy Stonehill was actually, you know, part of the early Christian music scene that far back. Because I used to listen to yeah. Randy Stonehill myself a lot, and uh, I listened to Degarmo and Key. Now I know Degarmo and Key was just a bit later. Um, I remember I, again. I like, you know, I like all kinds of music. I listen to you a lot. I used to go listen to a lot of concerts. I saw Brian Duncan at Costa Mesa. Saw him at the Hallelujah Jubilees quite a bit. And always enjoyed his his music, but uh, I like punk music too. And I remember I one of my first interviews was uh, Mike Stand from the Altar Boys, and he took us back all the way to the Calvary Chapel movement. And I think, wow, how amazing that the Lord put um, Chuck Smith at such a perfect time because he had such a heart to love on people. And when I think of Chuck Smith, I think that he really showed how to embrace these kids at the time, you know, as he would say, the social outcasts, you know, the barefoot, long-haired hippies, but he embraced them and showed them the love of Christ. And that was such a a pivotal moment for, um, for the church, I believe, at least here in the States, the Jesus movement. And a lot of, a lot of amazing pastors and musicians, obviously such as yourself, came out of one man's uh, a reflection of love of Jesus Christ towards the young, the youth at the time. I don't know what, what you think about that. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I can sum it up in one statement that I made to Chuck Smith's face. I told him we were on tour in 2010 before he died. And I said, Chuck, you know, you're the most open-minded, closed-minded man I've ever met. <laughs> and when it came to doctrine, Chuck was too yes. much, yeah. in my opinion not flexible enough to try new ideas. It was like straight down the line. But when it came to the cultural expression, I, I remember one of the great stories I like to tell is what we, we lived communally in a little, uh, after, not hippie communally, uh, a lady, a couple put us in, took us into their home. They were empty nesters and they supported us for about a year when we were getting started. And Chuck would call us up on the spur of the moment. You know, We lived there, so we were all living in the same place in Costa Mesa there. And Chuck would call us up about five o'clock and he'd say, grab the guitars, boys. I'll pick you up in about, you know, half hour. We're going out to Riverside meetings at seven, blah, blah, blah. So one night he calls and our drummer picks up the phone and he's talking, yeah, what time and all that. So when he gets off the phone, we said, John, what, what, what time are we supposed to be at the church? He said, well, he doesn't want us. He just wants me to bring my drums. He wants me to do a drum solo in church. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> well, no one had ever heard of anything like that. Yeah. You know? So Chuck was very open. He was also very discerning. I've seen him pull yeah. plugs on bands and I've seen him, you know, he, he was willing to be experimental, but he also had a real tight rein on what was going on. Yeah. And uh, that was what made Calvary sing in those days because he was willing to, to let the cultural thing, which he didn't understand, by the way, what yeah. Chuck understood was if you were anointed or not. Yeah. The music that Chuck picked down through the years that I knew was his favorite was every genre. He'd have a solo piano guy that played like Dino, but he was anointed. Yeah. We'd have an opera singer. That guy, see, so he picked you because of that. 
he wasn't really a rock and roll guy or sure. hip to the cultural music of the day, but he knew when God was doing something and that was his gift. And that's, that's why I believe Calvary was so successful because yeah. he was willing to let that side of it breathe. And still God saw that he was strong enough of a father figure to keep everybody in line yeah. spiritually and doctrinally. Yeah. I'm telling yeah. you, Chuck Smith was a giant. I've got to tell you now, I don't know if, um, you know, Chuck Smith used to sing. I mean, at the end, every now and then at the end, at least towards the end, I used to go listen to Chuck Smith. I used to listen to Chuck Smith, um, David Hawking, uh, Greg Laurie. Every now and then we would get uh, Skip Heitzig would come in as a guest. They would have conferences there. And so, but, you know, Chuck Smith would sing the song Jesus, right? Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. And I love that song, that is just something that it, we used to sing it to our, our son when he was little. And so he grew up uh, singing that song. But Chuck loved music, at least from my understanding, Chuck loved music because I used to, Benny Hester was one of the first guys I saw at the Harvest Crusade um, when we used to be at the, I want to say the Pacific Amphitheater. I think that was where yeah. they were at first. They right? started out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and Benny Hester was there. We had uh, Crystal Lewis, who had a phenomenal voice, um, just beautiful voice. So Chuck, yep. Chuck was responsible, at least in you know, like you said, he he saw the anointing, and these all of the guys that you know we listened to from the get go, most of them were because of Chuck Smith's introduction through Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. He gave them a platform. He gave them a stage. Absolutely. You know, and uh, that's one thing that I miss. I think it's, again, I'm not saying that they're all gone, but I think that the anointing, like you said, that's so key. You know, Chuck saw the anointing in the person, whether it was drums, a drum solo or a cellist or you guys or whatever the case might be. Uh, there, there was something that Chuck saw, and, and again, I think I have to bring it back to the 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 discernment he had via the Holy Spirit. You know, when it yeah. when it came to preaching the Word of God, Chuck Smith was, you know, laser focused, and um, I I I have to tell you to this day, he I have right here hanging, and I I would get up and do it, but that would probably be awkward, right? Like what five seconds of silence if I get up to grab it. But uh, um, I have, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. So, because again, this is just like a conversation. So, this will be sure. weird. So, two seconds. Yeah, la, 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 yeah, yeah, there you go. There's the yeah, filler music. I have this hanging. This is through the Bible. And oh, it yeah. is Chuck Smith. Series, yeah, yeah, it is the entire sermon series of Chuck Smith through the Bible. And I have that hanging there. I have it on my phone just to give you guys an idea. Not because Chuck was Mr. Infallible Man. He was he was like us, and he would sit down, I'm sure, to have an amazing conversation with anybody. That That's the thing. He was just down to earth. But I will tell you this much. He was anointed, too, when it came to preaching the Word of God. And one thing that I have to say I appreciate about Chuck, I know we deviated a little, but the importance of what he instilled even in the pastors that came out of the Jesus movement of going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through the Word of God. And I'm telling you, it was, to this day, it is something that I even follow myself. Pastor Jack Hibbs, which is my pastor, does it. Greg Laurie does it. 
Skip Heitzig, you know, has done it, and Raul Reese has done it, and so on and so forth. And so you guys, you guys still, the Lord is still using you to bless us with the music that God's inspired you. And um, I, first of all, I want to say thank you to what you know what you're doing. I'd like to know what our plans for Chuck Gerard in because ministry is not going away, right? For you, no, 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 no retirement here. Good. So, what are the plans? Well, let me first of all do a couple of quick Chuck Smiths. Number one is you can get all that teaching on the app, the Word for Today yeah. app. Yep. Yes, you has can. Everything there. It's all free. Everything. Let me go over and there and secondly, show folks. Let me go over there and show folks on the website as you're talking. Um, let me show yes. folks where they could go. By the way, that's Brian Duncan, folks. I'd love to have him there on sometime, but um, okay, let me see. The word for isn't it the word for today, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, right there. Uh no, that's let me see. The word for today. today. And I'll put this link. Um, and then I'm gonna Chuck Smith. There we go. Let's do that. And I oh, it's pa- pastorchucksmith.org. Pastor Chuck That's Smith. right, that's right. Yep. Yep. And so here you go. You guys can either get it here, but you can download the app right there, folks. You could see. Um, let me zoom. Well, I guess I clicked on it. So you could download the app if you click on it, and it has all of this stuff there. You could purchase things um, as well. But um, as you were talking, I just wanted to show folks that they could do that. Go for sure. it. Sure. Well, the other thing about Chuck was he was, I think you started to get into this. He was really a good singer. He wasn't a hip singer, but he was very great pitch yeah and he actually recorded an album called the love of god or something that i think you might find on spotify i'm not sure oh wow but it was a a great album and he was a good singer he he, you know he was like i say not a hip singer but a good singer yeah all right what's chuck gerard's future okay well first of all projects that we're working on i'll start with my new album i'm putting out my first studio album in 30 years um we don't even really have a working title yet but uh it's uh all um uh, all well all except one song one song is a re-recording of an older song everything else is new and okay. that, that'll be coming out in days weeks couple of weeks so you laid all the tracks the down already yeah we're all mixed okay we're, we've got uh, just about eight more songs to final put the final touch on the mixes and it's going to be ready so that's going to be out very soon but the thing that we're doing that's maybe more exciting is this uh, documentary of our group. Uh, again, not titled yet, but it's the story of Love Song, the band. Oh, cool. And by extension, the story of the Jesus movement and the Jesus revolution and the early days of Calvary. Now, Greg Laurie's movie called The Jesus Revolution comes out in a few weeks. Uh, it's a more of a fictionalized version of what went on uh, dramatized is a better thing uh it's greg laurie's story and then the story of the movement told through his eyes but i think that ours is going to fill in all the blanks and be a little more uh, there was a lot of dramatization let me put it that way ours will be the unvarnished real stories so that's coming out hopefully what we want to do is have it out his out his movie comes out into the month We'd like to have ours out within two or three months after that kind of capitalize on the on the wave of interest yep. that that movie could promote. So that's about it as far as like projects. Uh, you know, the books that took years to get the book out there. Uh, some very, very uh, art. Um, what's the word meticulously researched yep. 
we we've added everything we said we missed a few things still you know i mean we yeah. go back and somebody will correct me oh it didn't quite happen that way but it was our our attempt to be 100 percent truthful and honest and i think it's a, a really good history of again the jesus movement and the whole culture that happened at that time so those are things that i'm working on now and um you know it's been exciting to at the, my age to be able to be this active in that regard having so much to do project wise and all that and then still being able to travel i still play in churches i'll come to any size church we do offerings it's cheap date so if anybody's interested in having me come to your church <laughs> get a hold of us through the website <laughs> we'll do Let's, are you okay with taking just a couple questions would that be okay with sure. you yeah, okay I'm so if, if if you guys want to uh i've got a couple a handful of questions here for sure but if you guys want to submit any other questions please do i know that we've gone over the hour and that's fine i mean if it was up to me i could just keep talking forever and ever but um let me give you the the first question here and the first question is my someone wrote my 13-year-old daughter. This is not me, this is one of the viewers. My 13-year-old daughter is gifted with the guitar. She's been playing all types of musics, music lyrics for practice. Is it bad that we practice some lyrics that are secular with no vocals? You mean the just the music part? Yeah, I think that's what the it's secular versus practicing Christian songs on the guitar. So, what yeah. do you? What's your take on that? Yeah, I'm not really too worried if you want to learn um, Freebird or something, you know, because it's about the music at that point. As long as you're not, you know, as long as you're not giving yourself to it. Yeah. Um, if you can find Christian things that you can learn from, that's that's probably better. But yeah. I'm not real. I'm a, I'm a real stickler on what we listen to. So don't get me wrong. I'm not real liberal in that regard. But I think if you like, if a kid, here's the deal. If a kid likes a song and there's nothing really, and it, it, it's not a really demonic song, you know, you don't want to have them practice some weird demonic song. Sure. But if it's just a harmless song and they like it, it might entice them to learn more quickly, you know, so. So okay, wait. I don't think it's so. So stay, I think it's okay. Stay on that because, and I know I'm going to open up a big can of worms right now. We don't have time for it, but I'm going to open up the can of worms anyways. Uh, talk to that's us. That's the kind of guy you are. Yeah, that's the kind of guy I am. I just, you know what? I open it up, I throw it, and then I just actually bail. I'm going to put, I'm going to put you on. I'm going to just do this, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go away. No, but but hear me out. I do think that there are inherent dangers to. Uh, and in, maybe I should say enticing, right? There's a lot of enticement in music that will draw the kids in. Remember that um, we talked about earlier on, Satan knows the effects that music have on the individual. And he's, don't forget also, Satan parades around like an angel of light. So what are, what are your thoughts on the dangers of listening to, let's say, secular music specific secular music do you listen to it at all should we not listen to it i would love to hear your take on it because you've been in this 50 years plus so you've got a lot to bring to the well, table let me rethink my previous answer because i'm thinking more back towards songs that were out when i was a kid yeah and i do follow the culture and i do listen to secular music mostly just to keep abreast of what kids are listening to that's why i say when i look at the grammys i'm not being entertained yeah i tape them 
I want to see what's going on, what people are listening to, what the kids are being influenced by. Sure. I went through the lyrics of a Beyonce album, through a Cardi B album, the lyrics. And it's pure pornography. Yeah. So this yep. is what these kids are being exposed to. So maybe I'll rethink my original answer because it, it's hard to find songs that would not have a detrimental effect on a younger person. Yeah. And I was thinking more about doing something in my era that you know, it was about teenage love or something. But yeah. nowadays it's just really, really terrible what yeah. the, these kids are exposed to. And the honor that these artists are being given, to me, the whole thing is being driven by satanic forces yep. because they're trying to bring down the youth of today. So I think that it would be the best. It's like alcohol. It's legal to drink, you know, scriptural that you can drink wine, but not to get drunk. Well, the best situation for a Christian would be, especially anybody in leadership or a, or a place where you're a role model, is don't drink at all. I have my own problems with alcohol. Hold, I don't want to go into that. Hold on, hold I've on. Been dry. Say that again. Say that again. The best thing to do, especially for those in leadership, is to what? Is to abstain. Completely. Amen. Thank you. I just want to make crystal so clear. Yep. Yeah, you don't have any any. Uh, chance to stumble someone you know why do you need to have it in your life at all and yeah. a lot of churches now are very liberal about yep. alcohol they, yes churches are having one of their beer and hymns you know and they yep. come in and they drink beer and so i think when we put those two worlds together like that it's it's looking for danger yeah so not having been the parent i'm a grandparent but i'm not as close to it as a parent would be i think it's very important to really make sure you know what your kid's listening to. There's not very much out there that they can listen to that doesn't have. The problem with, with parents of my era or, you know, my generation or even today's generation is we're not really listening to the lyrics. Yeah. And a lot of the people are, the you know, the kid plays this nifty little song with a great little beat and they go, oh yeah, that's a cool little tune, but they're not really listening closely to what it's saying. Yeah. And I think that we need to be more, more aware of that as we, you know, guide our children through those waters of what what the world, boy, the world is just trying to saturate through every medium. You know, you as you know, the the movie things, you can't watch even a, a seemingly innocent little show without something going gay or something yep. going, some woke thing going on in, in all the culture today. So it's more than ever highly highly important that parents are responsible to really take a look at what their kids are consuming yeah. from the standpoint of entertainment and music. I totally agree with you 100%. See, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I had Kim Duarte on a while back, and we talked about music and even worship music. And even within worship music nowadays, you really need to be careful because you got a lot of it coming out from this movement called the New Apostolic Reformation Movement. And so, totally even, aware of it. yeah, you, you seriously have to be using discernment. You can't just say, oh, it's Christian music, it's safe to listen to anymore. And I love, Ch you know, Pastor Chuck, uh, Chuck, here I am. Pastor Jack, uh, last just this last Sunday, said, you know, I don't like using the term Christian anymore. I like to use the term Christ follower, right? And I agree with him just because the term Christian has been so heavily abused, even within the last 30 years, in every, uh, in every facet of life, whether it's in music, whether it's in the church, whether it's in politics, you know, everybody says, God bless you. Oh, everybody's a Christian, right? So it's important to exercise discernment as we even approach, which is sad, as we approach Christian music. But for example, from my perspective, I agree with you 100%. 
I I like 80s music. I've got to be honest with everybody. I think the 80s were just a melting pot of all kinds of styles. You had the synth music, and uh, each band was individual. You earlier mentioned, uh, Chuck, how there are some songs that pull on the emotional strings, right, which aren't bad, but they, they draw you in because of the lyrical content. And as you were talking about that, the song that came to my mind was by a band who I like, uh, called Mike and the Mechanics, and Mike and the Mechanics had a song called In the Living Years. I'm sure a lot of you guys have probably heard that song, and it's a good song. I like it, and it does. It pulls you in because of the content, the emotional content of the song. You know what I mean? But there's uh, there's also drawing people into the presence of the Lord, and so we need to ask, does this song do that on you know based on Scripture? because we have to compare everything back to scripture. I think that's one reason why to me, you know, even my son, um, my wife and I, we, we have one and he loves old school Christian music. And maybe that's because that's what we would listen to. Yeah. There's some eighties music that we listen to here and there. Obviously you got to hear the words. You can't just go based off the music, but the old school Christian music stuff was what I like to call safe, you know, um, the Brian Duncans, uh, the Chuck Gerrards, yeah. the Benny Hester's, the Randy Stonehills, you know, going all the way back to those bands, uh, Love Song, the Maranatha. I have every single Maranatha album, Praise album. They were safe, like, yeah. you know, but it's important now because I think, I think I have one of these sound effects here. This is what you hear a lot in music today. You know, it's just the beep. I don't know if you guys heard that, but it's the beep, you know, because they're blasting bad words or the content's pornographic yeah. or the stuff they talk yeah. about. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't know if I, I couldn't believe the I couldn't believe the lyrics I was reading with this Beyonce album, Cardi B. It's just, you know, unbelievable what yeah. these kids are listening to. And it's all couched in this music that kind of hides what the lyric is saying yep. so the parents wouldn't necessarily be as aware yeah. anyhow yeah i i agree with all that you know it's it's time to be you know maybe to apply the old saw we used to say what would jesus do maybe put it into what would jesus listen to or what would jesus watch yeah might be a good little test there you know yeah yeah, By that absolutely. standard, you probably have not much you can watch or listen to. Uh, you know what? It's it's a sad reality. You just you really said something there. That's a sad reality. You're, you know, we've come from. There's a lot of music. It's almost like when my wife and I sometimes we watch mostly uh, prophecy, but every now and then when we want to watch a movie, we'll literally spend no joke, maybe ten minutes going. There's so much, but there's nothing to watch, and we end up going back. To what we what we know and that's the same thing yeah. with music there's so much but there's very little that's actually good and edifying to to each one of us so let me ask you another question um this comes from jacqueline she's one of uh my moderators so thumbs up if you guys can give a thumbs up to jacqueline and carly they're superstars she said uh how can we be better worshipers oh well, I think understanding what worship is starts with it's uh, it's the inward expression, not the outward expression. You know, it's not about how high you raise your hands or how loud you're singing. It's about connecting with the heart. And part of the responsibility for that lies upon the worship leader to be able to take you there. So it isn't always something you could do. Um, 
all by yourself, maybe a good way to answer this is tell you what I do sometimes when I get into situations where there's two things that are hard for me to get into is bad musicianship. You know, I'm sitting out there in the audience trying to worship and I'm listening to the bass player make wrong notes. And I think, why don't you just learn the song? You know? <laughs> and then, then the, you know, the, that's hard for me. And then um, when it's, when I really can't connect to it, you know, it's either too advanced or whatever. Yeah. Um, but here's the bottom line is I get into it regardless. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. I think, okay, those are not bad lyrics. They're up there. Let's, you don't really relate to this, but that's good things they're saying. So you just t get yourself into that lyric and you say that to God. Amen. Sometimes, believe it or not, I'll sing in tongues when I don't know the lyric. I'll just yeah. sing to, to, to participate because yep. worship is not a spectator sport. That's a good thing to realize how we could, you got to be into it. Yep. I have a little teaching that I boil down to the four things that are most important things I've learned about worship. I'll go through it in literally one minute. Go okay? for it. Yeah, I hope I remember all four. <laughs> Number one is worship is about God, not us. And we've Amen. made a lot of stuff in the church about us. Okay. And yep. if you realize that you come in when it's time to worship, it's about him. Yeah. Doesn't mean you won't receive, but make your motive to give back to him the things, the blessings he's given you and the honor that's due him. Number two, uh, leave your troubles at the door. This isn't time to be thinking about, you know, they check that bounced or whatever. Try, you know, you discipline yourself to get focused on him, yeah. to get focused on the people around you and um, get into it, get into it. You yeah. know, like you say, there's a lot of spectator worship where everybody's out there, like even you say, I, I don't sing or somebody said, you don't sing because the music is so great and the singers are so great. You just listen. But participating is what makes a worshiper. Then number three, um, well, participate is the third one. Get involved and sing along with the lyrics. Mean what you can, the best you can from your heart. And th then maybe if there is a most important one, it would be the fourth one. Realize that worship isn't just an activity you do at church on Sunday. It's a, it's a lifestyle and it encompasses the whole week and it can be it, it can be you can worship by doing dishes yep yep anything you do is you do it unto the lord and um some people would say well you know i can't keep uh, worship music on in my house all day long but i know people that do that and that wouldn't be a bad idea yeah I don't think that's the way to become a worshiper, but it's it's not a bad idea. Sure. As much as you can saturate yourself, separate from the world, saturate yourself in the things of God. Um, my wife and I, we've been um, doing, um, she's been out with my daughter for a while. They're in a situation where she's been out quite a, in California for quite a while. And every night we um, we read the Bible together on the phone. Yeah. And do our devotions, you know, staying, staying active and involved in this kind of way, because part of being a worshiper is that you keep that dynamic going throughout the day, getting back to I'm kind of stumbling around here a little bit, but it's okay. let me clarify by this, this scripture, pray without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean that you just recite prayers all day long. You know, you're at work at McDonald's and you know, our father, which art in heaven, will you have prize with that? It's not that <laughs> it's being in the position of prayer yeah. 
at all times, even watching a TV show, see what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you through that show, because the Spirit can speak through all kinds of things. So you could say that with worship too, worship without ceasing. How do I do that? It isn't about singing a worship song all day long. It's about being in an attitude of connection with God. Sure. I think that's more important than what we do in church, to be honest, is, is what we do outside of church, that we keep our, our, our senses, our spiritual senses sharpened by you know, giving time to the word and certain amount of Christian discipline. I'm, I'm the least disciplined guy. You know, Paul said he's the chief of sinners. I'm yeah. the least disciplined guy in the church probably, <laughs> but I, I do endeavor to develop responsibility toward my spiritual uh, life. In, sure. in the fact, putting time aside to, you know, I have a lot of sermons that I tape on my TV so that when I'm sitting there, instead of watching Gutfeld or something, turn on, a sermon sure. and make that choice. So we have to, you know, that's all part of becoming a, a effective at worship is to become an effective worshiper, which means to stay in it, stay in the zone all week long and the best you can. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways to do that, but it's staying connected, meditating on God, no matter what you're doing. And that's part of what praying without ceasing is as well, in my opinion. No, I agree. I think they're not, I think, I know that worship is an integral part, even to bringing down strongholds. And again, we can't can't get into that right now just because of the time constraint, but there is power in worship to bringing down satanic strongholds. So I will say that as much. Um, Okay, there was one comment here that I wanted to address. I think we kind of touched on it a bit, and then I'll let you go. But two things. Let me let me ask. Do you do you you play the guitar, right? Is it piano and guitar, or just guitar, or what are your? I'm mostly a keyboard player. I start. I played a little bit of rhythm guitar back in the earliest days. Okay, but I so, haven't for many many years. So mostly keyboard, right? That would Correct. be great. That's why I got I gotta have you and Marty on, and you'll do dueling uh, dueling keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'll win. He'll win. I'll tell you, Marty Getz is phenomenal. Not that you're not, but I got it. You guys are just different. No, no, you have, either. you guys have a a a different anointing when it comes to music. I I look at Marty Getz, and I think of you know the the songs you would hear on uh, on movies and and theater and all that. He just has that that wonderful voice, and you guys both have a way of bringing people into the throne room of God to help them in worship. And that's such a gift. It is an anointing, but definitely I'm serious. If you're willing, I will reach out to Marty and see if you guys would want to come together, because I think it would be great to really do one specifically on worship and the importance of worship. And, you know, maybe dive deeper into what does it mean to be a worshiper of God, you know, and help people understand how do we bring strongholds down um, with worshiping the Lord, right? So I think I'll do it. If I've got you're okay, I'll contact Marty and see if we can get both of you guys on together because I think it would be a hoot. I think it would be really good. So, okay, last... Let's chase it and see what happens. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so last one. Um, Here we go. Um, Well, someone wanted to give you a compliment. Uh, Ah, it's Katie said, Chuck, you've been a great encouragement to me in my walk with the Lord. Seeing how the Lord used you for ministry and music is such a blessing. Hope to see you again at Calvary Chapel Appleton. So I guess you must have gone at Calvary Chapel Appleton. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, one of my uh, church families. Yeah, Very cool. So, ah, uh, Kay, uh, it's Katie. Uh, that's her YouTube name. So if anybody, when you're at Appleton, comes up to you and says, 
it's me. Ah, uh, it's Katie. Well, then you know who it is. Um, and then Hope Diary said, there are harmless country songs too. Not many, but some of them are good. And yes, I agree. I'll let you take that one. What What is your response to that comment in regards to country? Well, I'm not, uh, country is not a genre I, I resonate to, so I don't really know what's going on in that world. Uh, but let's just take it more generally. Any song, you have to, it's it's a matter of your own conscience. Yeah. If you feel that you can listen to it and it's not bringing any, you know, just because it's secular, in my opinion, it doesn't mean it's out of the race to listen to. You know, there's sure. some beautiful secular songs that have um, beautiful meaning to them. I hope if I quote this song, it's not, something in it that's weird but you know wind beneath my wings or something oh, like yeah. that that it's a beautiful message there's some beautiful words out there so just just being discerning and making sure that you um you know you're filtering what you're listening to so that it's nothing that would displease god it's that sure. simple you know yeah and then let I me think. let me add to that make sure that you also know who the individual writing the song is because the song can be great but unfortunately, sometimes the artist in their own personal views and life just are not. So keep them in your prayers. And I, the reason why I'm saying that is because my mom used to listen to that song all the time by Bette Midler. But boy, Bette Midler needs Jesus. And so we need to pray oh, yeah. for Bette Midler. <laughs> Well, if, if that's your yardstick, there's probably no good secular song. If that's your yeah. No, so no, because I'm telling you, I, I there's some 80s, uh, quite a handful of 80s songs that I like to listen to. There's some uh, some stuff by Brian Adams, who I think is, you know, great musician, too, that that I listen to as well. And uh, yeah, but, but yeah, I agree. You, you got to exercise discernment, discernment, discernment. So last question, and then we will let you go. Promise promise i'll I'll, okay. pre I'll present the gospel cards and then you're free to go but last question if you wouldn't mind defining anointing right when we're talking about worship and anointing if you wouldn't mind defining that for us well that's a big one you know that's um i'm talking to my daughter elisa about that lisa childers is my daughter and she's got a, a huge hit book on apologetics called uh another gospel and we talk about this a little bit well, to me, the anointing, this is my take on it. The anointing is when you give, when, when you're, first of all, part of it's a gift. Yeah. Um, the degree of it. Um, you could argue that and you could say, well, you know, it's, it, we're all equal, but, but Eli, Elisha received a double portion of Elijah's anointing. So there is a, a sort of a, a numerical value, you know, there's a quantity here involved. So part of it's gifting, but it's, it's when you present something that the Holy Spirit can use, and that's why it, this really gets into a real can of worms here. And I'll try to not go there, but just give you the general idea. Sure. That's why I feel like certain types of music that are called Christian, let's call it Christian thrash, maybe where it's a harder, more difficult music for the Holy Spirit to get through yeah. because of the musical style of it. And people could argue, I mean, there's arguments all the way. Well, if you're used to it and you know how to listen to it and the guy is singing about God, then I can receive from it. And that may all be true. But what I'm saying is the anointing is in a simplest definition that I can make is the 
ability for the Holy Spirit to energize and empower what you are singing or saying, be it a sermon or a song or whatever, to communicate that power to the people. You can't do it in your own strength, but you can, if you're, if you're singing under the anointing, meaning trying to listen to God and guide you in what you're singing, what songs you do, if you're a speaker, the same thing. Yeah, uh, I've, I've done a bunch of speaking and there's times where I've known I've speaking out, spe I'm speaking out of my own mind and there's times where I know the Holy Spirit really takes over. So that to me, I think is what, how I define the anointing, the, the, the ability for the power of God to go through whatever your vehicle is, your song, your sermon, and to communicate the power of God through that, through those words, through those melodies to touch the lives of people, the power, Amen. it's the empowering of whatever it, my, I'm endeavoring to do from the art form. Amen. It's the empowering of it by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here we go. Last thing, and I want you to do, which I know, I love doing this every single time. Uh, at one point in your life, you needed, we all do, but at one point in your life, Jesus came in to take residence up in your life and changed you completely, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I've said it a million times, and I'll say it over and over. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. So, Chuck, there are probably people that might be watching now or later on, you know, on the flip side of this live stream that want the same thing that you have and that the Lord gave you so many decades ago. I would love for you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody listening. And after you're done, if you wouldn't mind leading us in prayer for anybody that might want that. Sure. Well, the gospel was, to me, boils down to two concepts. First of all, it's a faith that you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and that you are willing to turn from repent. The word repent means to change your mind fundamentally that you change your mind about the lifestyle that you're walking not so much cut and dried quit sinning yeah it's it's like it's like a diet right you, you change your diet and you just think well i'll eat carrots only and then i'll lose weight but if you don't change the lifestyle of your eating you'll just get back in the same old thing and you gain the weight back so it's a little bit like that it's making a determination to walk in god's ways and not in the ways of the world that you were walking in. So with those two things, um, if you repent and you pray that prayer, which I'll pray with you in a minute, just an example prayer, uh, those are the two main things that I find in Scripture that are needed. You know, that you first of all have to believe that Jesus is Lord, He's God, and that He was raised from the dead. That's important. It's the whole, all Christianity hinges upon whether He was risen from he has risen from the dead or not so if you don't believe that then you really can't go much further so with those two things in mind whenever i pray a prayer i pray those things in the prayer and i lead people this way i say lord jesus i know that i have sinned i know that my life has not been pleasing to you and i want to turn from that sin i want to turn from that way of living and i want to live for you i want to make jesus lord of my life and uh, I do believe that Jesus is God, that he, is, <clears throat> that he was raised from the dead, and he lives now, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And I surrender my life to you, Jesus, right now. I'm not trying to get religion. I'm trying to get relationship and get right with God right now. 
It's not about religion. And I believe that I'm born again. I don't really understand what that means yet, but I know by your Holy Spirit, you'll teach me as I walk daily in your word, in prayer, and I do my best to walk after the uh, obedience to the commands of the Holy Spirit in my life. And then I'll, through that, slowly, because it's the renewing of our mind and the changing of our hearts on a daily basis, turn into the kind of person that you called me to be. And I do believe that all things have become new and that I'm a new creature in Christ. And I endeavor to make a commitment to walk with you on a daily basis from this day forward. I call myself a Christian and say that I'm born again by the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed on the cross 2,000 years ago. I receive you as my Lord in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chuck, any closing words? No, this has been a really very comprehensive interview. I'm trying to think if I left anything out. I think I you know, I wanted to make sure everybody knew about uh, my projects, but I think we covered those very well. No, it's a very good interview, and I appreciate your attitude and I like the spontaneity of it. Oh. That we, you know, it didn't matter that we didn't get started on time. Oh, it's all stuff. good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it too. Listen, um, I, I will definitely reach out to uh, Marty for sure and see if I could get both of you guys. I will get a couple copies of your book and see if I can get some of Marty's music so that we could give it away to folks when we do the, um, the interview next. So, uh, hopefully if I could get a hold of them, I'm looking, thinking maybe end of April, probably may somewhere around there. Springtime, I think would be good. Sure. I'm, I'm, don't know where I'll be or what will be happening then, sure. but it should be easy to work out. Okay, perfect. So let me just really quick tell folks about the gospel cards, which I always do, and I always say this. Folks, uh, we talked about Jesus Christ. We talked about the importance of having him as Lord and Savior of your life, just like uh, Chuck just did right now. But we need, to f we need to share Jesus with as many people as we can because time is short. And so I love offering these cards, um, the gospel cards. They have the gospel on them. And I will send 25 of these cards to you guys for free if you just reach out and ask for them. And the way that you do that is if you go to the Serpents and Doves website and you go up to the header menu up here where it says connect, click on that. It will open up the contact us page. Please fill it out. Put your name, uh, put your um, email there subject line, you're going to put gospel cards, and right in the message field, you're going to put your address, uh, your mailing address. That way we know where we're going to send them to. If you want more than um, if you want more than 25, I will gladly send you as many as you want. The only thing I would ask, as always, is you would just prayerfully consider leaving a donation just to help offset the costs um, of shipping, of materials, and of the printing. But if you can't, we will still send you however many cards you want because I don't want that to be a hindrance for the gospel getting out. Last thing, if you guys go to the footer section of the website, I put up a new artist, Tree63. They're from South Africa. Really good, solid Christian band. This is their first album. The song's called Treasure. Um, it's, uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. Chuck, thank you so, so much for coming on. It was a huge blessing. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this was great. It was fun. Just hang tight with me, folks. Um, I hope you guys were blessed, encouraged, and challenged. Remember, as always, get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into you. And uh, 
again, remember to keep looking up, okay? Our redemption draws very, very near. So until the next time, Lord richly bless you guys. We'll be seeing you, all right?